Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson, and I am welcoming you to the January 24th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we have discussed quite often over the last few months, and that is environment. We're also going to hit upon public transit because we know that that is a significant concern for those who are dependent upon uh, public transportation to get to various uh, places that they need to go. But before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about an event coming up in our community. It takes place on February 3rd. Doors open at 4. The show begins at 5. And that is the 18th anniversary celebration for the Talking It Up show, which is hosted by Arlene Edwards and comes on on WKZK on Wednesday afternoons after my show. This celebration will take place at the Transforming Lives Bible Church. It is located 2439 Peach Orchard Road in Augusta. Advanced tickets are $20 and at the door $25. And uh, this will feature a, a several artists. Should be a wonderful evening of music. So if you want to take part in that celebration, uh, please get in touch with Arlene. Thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family, and we hope you enjoy today's conversation. Local Matters family, today we have a guest who's not exactly a new member of the family because he's been a listener, I think, for a while. Um, but he has something very important to share with us um, to make you aware of things that are happening in the CSRA, as well as the topic that we have taken on uh, with a little vigor over the last few months, and that is environmental issues. So, Chris Hall, thank you so much for being a part of the Local Matters family today. Hey, Janice, so good to be able to have this conversation with you. Yes, yes. Um, please, as always, we ask our guests to explain a little bit about themselves. So if you could just tell our listeners uh, what you do, your role in the CSRA, uh, we'll start there. I know there's an organization called Sustainable CSRA. So if you could just talk about your role there, what the organization does, um, that will help our listeners get going with this conversation. Awesome. Yeah, love to. So uh, several years back, I have seen the changes that's coming along in our environment around here in the uh, CSRA. And I decided that uh, I really felt like I needed to uh, address, help address some of these issues. And I felt the best way to do that was to create this organization called Sustainable CSRA. You know, I saw, Janice, a lot of uh, these clear cuts taking place. The uh, Just the landscape itself was just being changed and altered. And I remember the day that I, that I thought about this, I'm driving down the road and where there's not clear cuts, there was trash everywhere. And I knew that that area was getting ready to change and change a lot. So I founded uh, Sustainable CSRA to 
to help um, push back against some of that. Okay. And um, tell me how you all push back. What's the way, what methods do you use in order to call attention to those things? Well, we all know that uh, if we want to go fast, we go by ourselves. But if we want to go far, we want to go with others. And so right at the core of, of the work that I do, uh, I really work to, to build connections with people in the community. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, now I'm just here with, uh, in Augusta with Sustainable CSRA, but in uh, building organizations and relationships building relationships with organizations, you know, across South Carolina and parts of Georgia too. Um, so we build connections with each other and we, we talk about local issues because, you know, frankly, uh, I just don't have all the answers myself, but uh, I come together with others and, you know, the communities know what they need. And so building and coming into, uh, building relationships and coming into community with, with people who, who live there amongst the issues that we see, um, I really feel building, building power to be able to address some of the issues we see. Um, it really has to come through community voices and some people aren't aware how strong their voice is. And as you say that, I'll just pause to ask this question. Do you think that community voices are strong enough and loud enough in the Augusta area? Oh gosh, I I see a lot of conflict, and I see um, distraction, and I see, um, yeah, I see a lot of friction, and uh, I think that I think that when we we try to uh, come together and hear people out, but uh, you know, people have to have a reason to to want to get involved, and maybe it's the language that we use. Uh, in, in the environmental community, or maybe it's that we just don't understand what some of the issues are. Issues, things that we see as issues might not be, um, might not be a problem or people might not be aware of the, the challenges that our communities faces. When it comes to environmental issues, um, one of the big campaigns that I knew I had to start uh, was on transportation. And, um, you know, because Transportation is one of those issues where, you know, we all take it for granted that we just walk out our door, we grab our car keys and we jump in the car and go. And for some people, that's just not an option. Car uh, ownership is really expensive. Um, but, you know, transportation is an issue that cross, crosses over a lot of different um, other issues like health. Um, we see the diesel buses coming through our city streets and if you've ever been at one of those bus stops waiting for the bus to come along or get dropped off by the bus and man, those fumes are those fumes are toxic. And that just adds to the other air quality issues that are in that area. So do our do, do we have a strong enough voice? No, I don't think we do. But I think I see a lot of people out there um, really leaning in and really working to to bring these issues to light and to find ways to connect with each other. Okay. All right. And tell me, before you did this, what were you doing and how did that become an interest for you? 
Gosh, well, <clears throat> you know, I think like a lot of people um, who have gotten involved in environmental issues, for me, it started off by going outside. And I used to, I've, I've traveled quite a bit in the U.S. Um, thanks to a mom who had a big wanderlust uh, for travel. And um, as kids and growing up in the early 70s, we, we traveled quite a bit by car and we slept in holiday inns and um, we had relatives all over. You know, it's, the country was, uh, our, my, my mom was uh, a, an immigrant, um, actually a first generation American. And so her, her family spread out across the four corners of the country. And, and so I had access to the outdoors coming from Detroit. But um, really it was when I started paddling and I, I saw trash and I, I thought it was awful to see that. And after, after a number of years, um, I knew I wanted to do more work. And I had no idea how much work there was to do when it came to uh, environmental cons conservation. But here's the thing, after being involved with Sierra Club for, I don't know, about five or six years, seven years, I became the chapter chair for the South Carolina chapter. And then I met Reverend Leo Woodbury. Um, Reverend Woodbury is the EJ pastor. And for, for those who aren't aware, EJ is a environmental justice. Because what I would come to learn is that, you know, Janice, when it comes to environmental issues, um, it doesn't impact all communities the same. And communities of color, I came to learn, were far more impacted by issues of water and water issues as well as uh, air pollution and um, things like toxic dumps like down in, below the Savannah River site. We know that they've had some low level waste buried and it was not properly handled. And you know, for years, you know, these issues were being fought in the courts. And, and so um, that really kind of changed my focus. And I've been involved with the South Carolina Environmental Justice Network for probably close to 10 to 10 years and also with Sierra Club. But um, you know, th those are some of the things that really made my the work um, real. I could see the impacts on people and I just, I, I just couldn't, um, couldn't sit on the sidelines with that. Okay. All right. Very good. So you were compelled first by your love of nature. You acquired a love for it early on and just compelled to protect the environment based upon, um, that early experience and exposure. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. so, um, does the C sustainable CSRA tell us a little bit about it? If somebody wants to get involved, do you all uh, have regular meetings? Is there a website? How would somebody get involved if they wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I do have a website and it's sustainablecsra.org. Um, and if you search for that on Facebook, you'll find my uh, Facebook page as well. Um, because I think one of the, one of the things that's, that is important is that one of the, um, monikers, if you will, is that community issues need community voices. And so I try to form all of my work and, 
uh, how I work and who I work with um, based on the Jimenez principles. And basically the Jimenez principles were put together years ago as a form of democratic organizing that, uh, that amongst other things says, you know, community voices should speak for themselves because oftentimes, you know, what we've seen uh, across time is, um, you know, perhaps well-intentioned um, green groups, big white organizations come into communities and they helicopter in and they come in to help save the day. And, you know, then um, when the money drives up, you know, they're, they're nowhere to be seen. And people know what's going on in their community and they oftentimes just need the support of others um, and so my hope is to um, take some of my experience over time and lend that as a voice um, and stand next to organizations who are, and people who are interested in seeing some of these issues addressed and finding a way to um, build that kind of power that it takes in order to lift these issues up. Um, and you've touched on a couple things that we have touched on in some previous episodes. Uh, those who are regular parts of the Local Matters family know that we've done a few episodes on environmental issues over the last four or five months or so, um, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I've had someone who discussed water quality in Flint, Michigan at the time that they had what became a nationally known crisis related to their water supply and impact on educating children as a result of the contaminated water that those children were uh, bathing in and consuming. Uh, I've had someone who's a former mayor in Compton, California, come in and talk to us about her work in working with cities and counties to implement initiatives coming out of the Inflation Reduction Act and the Build Back Better uh, Act from the federal government and how data is can be used to show inequities, as you pointed out. Um, and I also, of course, have had a Savannah Riverkeeper, Tanya Bonitatabus join us. And uh, she talked about specific to the chemical plants and um, how economic development and environmental justice sometimes are at odds. Mm -hmm. So you have brought attention to the fact of who's impacted, you know, yes. those who are in lower wealth communities, those that are in communities of color, you know, how is it that this happens? You know, do you have any theories on why it is that we do see communities of color being more heavily impacted by those air and water quality issues? Well, you know, um, I do. I mean, quite frankly, and you know, it's it's apropos that we're having this conversation today on Mount Martin Luther King Day. And, you know, before Dr. King was assassinated, one of the campaigns that he had initiated was the Poor People's Campaign. And I think that um, we, we see that with Dr. Reverend Barber today, picking up that work, you know, calling for justice and calling for a moral revival. And the thing is, when you 
find ways to divide people, um, you know, you can keep running your game and you don't have to, um, you don't have to continue to fight against um, larger and growing number of people. But when we come together, um, we, you know, we see that even in low wealth white communities, they face some of the same issues. Uh, and depending upon what area you live in or, you know, what area, you know, city, state, counties, you know, across, across the board. And a lot of these issues are, are all connected to, to, to the same, you know, dark money that's just infiltrated our political system. And so I think that because uh, particularly in these low wealth white communities, as well as, as uh, communities of color, they, they see these people as um, not having the voice, not having the power, feeling like that they can, they can um, keep people divided, they can uh, take the waste, uh, um, the poor air quality, water quality, and inflict it on those communities because they don't have the political, they, people feel like they don't have the political power to feel pushed back against that. And it's just simply not true. It's simply not true. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, so a lot of it just comes down to education, knowing that you are impacted or could potentially be impacted by some of the things that are coming about, and then taking the next step to voice your concerns and come together with others who are of like mind, and you all can work together to, to call attention to those issues. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the issue that I think you're most known for, and that's uh, advocacy around transit. And you made some reference to just the, you know, diesel fumes and so forth that, that can be quite toxic. Um, we'll talk some in light of an event that you have coming up on February 4th. Uh, it's called a celebration of Rosa Parks. Join us for food and conversation, uh, which is going to take place in Aiken, South Carolina. Oh, there are two events. Looks like there's something in Aiken on Thursday, February 1st at 6. And then there's another event in Augusta on Saturday, February 3rd at 9 o'clock in the morning. So can you talk a little bit about uh, why you all are doing those events and what you uh, hope to accomplish by doing so? You know. Uh, a lot of people have heard about Rosa Parks and her, <clears throat> she made the decision to stand up by sitting down and that led into the 381 day boycott of the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. And the date on that was December 1st, 1955. And, you know, years later, we still see that there's inequities in public transit. It's typically underfunded, has been for decades. And quite frankly, I think that when it comes to the differences in yesteryear and today is how racism shows up. And, and I feel it shows up in one of the ways it shows up today is through 
the underfunding of public transit. And transit is really important to me because it, it's so interconnected with so many other issues from, from air quality to access to jobs, access to healthcare, access to healthy foods. And um, when you look across the Aiken and Augusta area, um, the service levels are um, not, not adequate. Uh, and we see by going, by riding the bus and getting on the bus and experiencing what other people who depend on the bus, we get to see what they see, which is bus stops that are in need of repair, bus stops that need, um, that don't comply with the ADA uh, rules about, um, you know, the bus stops and access accessibility. And, you know, celebrating celebrating uh, Rosa Parks through this Transit Equity Day, Transit Equity Day was established by a organization called Labor Network for Sustainability. Uh, I think this year will be the seventh year that they've run this event. And a lot of organizations have come together across the country to recognize Rosa Parks and to call out the fact that we still have a lot of issues with uh, equity in, um, in our transportation systems. And so when it comes to the events I've got planned for this coming year, um, on Thursday, February 1st at 6 p.m. at the Center for African-American History, Art and Culture, we're hosting a conversation and we have a number of speakers from the community that will come together and we're gonna talk about a little bit about the history of uh, Miss Rosa Parks, but we're also gonna bring in some of the local history because we have our local history as well that needs to be brought out and people need to be educated on, including me. Um, we'll talk about equity in terms of you know, the need to move over to clean, uh, no emission buses, electric buses, and how that will help improve the air quality for, for riders, for pedestrians or who are uh, walking the streets, walking along the sidewalks, and um, and yeah, and we'll have uh, we'll be serving dinner with that as well. And you can go to my website to register for the event. And events being held free of charge. Mm -hmm. um, then we're going to switch over to Saturday morning, and we're going to meet at Hudson Memorial Church, um, along with my my friends, the Imani Group, and. We'll have, uh, we'll start off at nine in the morning. We'll be serving some breakfast and we'll have another uh, round of speakers who will be local voices that will lift up the issues that are happening in Augusta. And I think the key and the important takeaway from this is that our area is growing and it is expanding. And we need a transit system that's modernized and, and connects these communities together because gosh, I'm over in, I live in Aiken, but I'm over in Augusta every single week. And uh, I know I'm not the only one. And we see um, we see what the impacts are of sprawl. And um, it's an interesting point to note that one of the things that came out of the period of COVID when it first hit is people who lived in rural areas thought that they were going to um, 
going to be a lot better off because the transition, uh, the uh, the problem with COVID was it was transmitted through uh, through the air. But the fact is, people who were living in more urban areas were healthier because they got out and moved more, and were less impacted actually than people in the rural communities. And so as we start seeing this sprawl, people are in this car-centric, uh, car-dependent kind of um, living. Um, we just become disconnected and we're not as mobile. And so there's, there's just a lot of issues that are tied around transit. And uh, so linking Augusta and Aiken together and the, and the surrounding communities, you know, it's just one more way to try to build unity throughout the area. Okay. You know, one of the things, and I, I, I think it's appropriate to bring this up, Augusta is really, really hard to do transit for work. That was one of the things that I struggled with when I was with the city. Um, and then I'll give an example. I used to live in Richmond, Virginia. And when I lived in Richmond, mm -hmm. there were a whole bunch of folks that took public transit to work every day. And that was because uh, the system was reliable, you know, buses, I won't say it was every 15 minutes, but maybe every 20 or 30, uh, there was a bus and there were lots of people headed to the same place. So it made it easier and more cost effective um, to be able to run buses into downtown Richmond because there were so many people headed that way because that's where the jobs were. And the other thing that made it easy was that parking was so expensive that transit seemed to be a really good alternative um, because if you were paying for a monthly parking space i mean some of those parking spaces had price tags that were similar to a rent payment or a mortgage payment so it was a lot less expensive to take the bus and the system greater richmond transit uh, could do a lot more uh, in terms of providing a convenient service because there were just lots of people headed to the same place at the same time every day. Sure. And Augusta is completely opposite from that. We are so spread out, as you mentioned, sprawl. We're so spread out that it's, it's next to impossible to provide an efficient public transit service. Um, and, and I know that's what they're, they're up against and trying to do it. I, I can't remember exactly what the subsidy numbers were, but the government was putting forth a huge amount to subsidize what they were receiving from federal and state sources because in this, you know, it's like a downward spiral. The buses didn't run on a good schedule, on a convenient schedule. So people didn't try to ride it. And if people aren't trying to ride it, you've got a bunch of empty buses running around for the few who do. So it, it's just a very, very difficult problem to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to take a second to to lift up the work of of the director and deputy director of Gus Transit because because um, it is it, it can be an uphill battle. Uh, I've I've had conversations with uh, Director Doherty uh, about the expansion of transit across the area and have worked more closely with uh, Deputy Director, Dr. Oliver Page. And, you know, some of the things that, um, that impact 
that when it comes to where where are people coming from and where are they going to is is it does come down to a a challenge of planning and city planning and you know honestly when it comes to uh, ridership um, one of the things that I've read is that while most people think about it in terms of transportation to and from work um, which is pretty accurate in a lot of your more larger urban areas that a lot of people also use more people actually use it for other services like um, getting to doctor's appointments, um, shopping and things of that nature. And having been a bus rider down in uh, Savannah, Georgia, um, you know, that's, that's, that was my primary mode of transportation. And it does become a complicated issue when you have different spots of places where people need to go, whether it's a, an employment center whether it is a medical center area where people are getting their healthcare needs taken care of. And, you know, one of the, the issues of housing. And so um, I think that's why today more than ever, we, we look to technology and how to use some of the tools that, that are uh, available to us to be able to work to accommodate these um, these kind of challenges, because I think that uh, I'm certainly no expert on public transportation, but I think that uh, some of the things that I'm seeing are in uh, different communities. They're using they're using some different uh, tools in order to be able to help build in the kind of equitable service that they need to to fill a need, but also um, you know we have to be mindful. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, you know, I'll say that when it comes to uh, addressing issues of uh, public transportation in the area, um, I think that this is also uh, an issue where people who have access to public trans transit that is uh, reliable. Um, there's certain things that uh, has been identified as these are the, the questions that you want to, to answer if you're running public transit. Can I get there? How quickly can I get there? And you know, just how reliable the service is. And I think that while we often think about public transit as a, you know, just the captured clientele, people who have to have access to uh, public transit. Um, I think there's a slurry of people out there who would use the bus if they felt they were reliable and they could understood how to gain access to that. So um, we're looking forward to the event. We're looking forward to uh, step back into the history of not only Rosa Parks, but also the history of uh, our local area here as we celebrate uh, Ms. Parks and her work. Okay, excellent. And that web address again is? Sustainablecsra.org. Okay, 
All right. Thank you so much for being a guest on Local Matters. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.